When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the All-NBA Podcast, part of the All-City Podcast Network. We have a doozy for you today. Two games last night, semifinal games in the in-season tournament, the first ever in-season tournament. One phenomenal game, one terrible game, but both of them have tons of conversation, tons of things to talk about, both good and bad. To help me with that, I have the star of the show, Tim Legler. Legs, I hope you enjoyed those ones last night. (laughs) Yeah, so where do you want to go first? You want to go you want to go with the good stuff or you want yeah. to go with the ugly stuff? You pick. Yeah, no, we have to we have to start with the good stuff, man. We have to All do right. the good news first cuz I don't want to start this Friday on a negative no, note. Definitely you know, not, I don't want I don't want to ruin everybody's Friday the way that the Pelicans ruined my Thursday. So, uh, we'll have to get to that. We're also going to preview the weekend. Um not a, a ton of games tonight, just the championship. So, of course, we're going to spend a deep dive looking at Pacers, Lakers, and, and and talk about the in-season tournament as a whole. But first, before we get started, I got to tell you that we are presented today, as always, by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code ALLNBA because life's more fun when you get in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. So, yes, the good news or the good game. The Pacers play the Bucks. This was a phenomenal game, 128-119 Pacers. You and I both thought that as much as we loved the Pacers, we loved the way they fought, we thought this was the Bucks game to lose. And I might even put it that way. I think that both things happened. The Pacers won this game, but the Bucks lost it as well. So I'll just start off the top. What did you see from this game that stood out to you as sort of the top note? Well, I think the first thing was just the contrast in readiness and intensity level in the first half. I, I just didn't think the Bucks were playing with that sort of urgency. And, you know, it, it listen, it is, it's a different environment, right? So you're playing these games, the, the, the four games you had to play uh, in, in the in-season during the regular season, you know, they're just regular season games, like two home, two away. Then you go into the quarterfinals and you're either playing at home or you're playing on the road, but these are typical arenas like you're used to playing. And now all of a sudden you set up this final four in Vegas Right. And I don't I'm not saying it's the Vegas effect necessarily, although I don't know what guys are doing. It's just I think there was something about the environment that did not have the Bucs in the first half. Now, I'll give them credit because they did answer the bell at halftime. Something changed internally at halftime with that. Yeah, there's no question. They were a different team with just their bounce. And they look like, you know what, this matters. It didn't really look that much that way in the first half. And, of course, the Pelicans didn't look that way at all. So I think that's the first thing that stood out. And and I, that's one of the worst halves I've seen Damian Lillard ever play. I, he just, b- besides the miss, missing the shots, like the turnovers and not being able to stay on his feet, he just he did not look like a premier NBA player. Obviously, he turned that around in the third quarter um, and went off and got them back in the game. And then we had this incredible finish. but. 
I think that's what stood out to me more than anything. The Pacers were more ready from Jump Street than the Bucks. And what, well, let me ask you, what do you attribute that to? Because this, I mean, I think we all agreed that this felt like a big game. It wasn't. This shouldn't have had that energy. What do you think you attribute it to for a veteran team to come out and play that way? I don't know. You know, maybe it, some of it was you just put up 146 points on the Knicks and you're playing a mm. team that everybody is saying is a terrible defensive team. Easier to even score. Though, yep. Even though their defense against Boston was pretty good and it wasn't yeah. like a bunch of lockdown defenders. It was just I thought they strategically – wanted to take something away from the Celtics. And I thought they did a good job of not allowing role players to have good, clean looks. So they did something different against them. And then Boston has had a nightmare, you know, guarding them. I think the Bucs came into this. I really believe that Bucs figured they could just go out there and just play and they were going to get to, you know, 135, 140. Because the nature of the game said that. And and they came out and, and Indiana put them back on their heels a little bit. And I also thought, like, how can you have watched the Pacers play as much as as we've all seen them now particularly in all the attention they've gotten with this in-season tournament and not understand their propensity to get the ball up the floor that quickly after you score because there were so many plays in the game and by the way they'd have them down for 11 fast break points and i've been saying this for years adam they do not know how to count transition or fast break points because There's a, such a thing as secondary transition. Yep. It is an absolute byproduct of your push up the floor, getting a team to react back defensively, and then the ball comes back out from the baseline or the paint or wherever it was advanced, and now you get real quick hitting action. It's all caused by the push. It should count as transition offense. They don't count it that way. They give them 11 fast break points, which are literally – Three on two, two on one, or breakaways. That's like that's the only thing you get credit for in transition. I, I think they count at five seconds. I think it's like five. I think if there's 17 seconds or less on the clock, it's no longer one. But we know, and it's what you're talking about is you take the ball up the net, you cross half court in one second or two seconds, you create an advantage, and maybe it takes five more seconds to find the wide open shot, but that's still a fast break. They still got it in transition because they got the ball across half court and created the advantage quickly, and maybe it took a while to swing the ball around the court. But that's still a fast break. I'm with you. I, I always say this about fast break. And that's a great explanation. And, and, and you know, I actually broke down one of these plays from the Celtics game for the Pacers the other night on Van Pelt, where it was Halliburton got the outlet after a score, advanced it up the sideline to, I think, Hall, uh, Halliburton. So within three seconds, Halliburton had the ball at, on the wing at the three-point line on the other end of the floor. Right. It forced Boston – to like overreact in running yep. back to get to that spot. And then Derek White, who was guarding Halliburton, kind of like turned and looked at the ball that had been advanced. And then when it got swung back to Halliburton, he drove right past him to the rim for a finger roll. And it took seven seconds. No transition yeah. offense. No, the whole thing was caused by the push. And that's what I'm saying. Like those numbers are deceiving because my, I saw, I don't know how many examples of, and they didn't always score on them, but the fact that the Bucks did not look prepared for how quickly the ball was coming back at them after a made basket in particular really shocked me because that's the one thing you've got to be just pounding in their head and film and walk through and, and, and nothing is acceptable other than turning in a dead sprint, your first two strides head down, sprinting back as fast as you can make or miss. 
you know, I saw a play where Malik Beasley scored and he's kind of flexing up and then they laid it <laughs> at the other end. They laid it in at the other end in three seconds. Yeah. Like, did yeah. you guys not understand? This is the the identifying principle with which everything they do is based. Yeah. And I didn't think the Bucks were ready for it. And that that surprised yeah. me. I want to I have one other note on the Bucks. I'm sure you have probably a, a handful more, but here's one of the reasons that early on that nobody's talking about that makes me skeptical of the Bucks. I don't buy Malik Beasley as a closing shooting guard with this roster. You have a backcourt of Damian Lillard. He to me, Damian Lillard's one of the worst defenders in the NBA. A lot of this is just physical tools, right? He's kind of undersized, he's not necessarily quick. I, he's gonna have limitations there. And then you put Malik Beasley right next to him. And I think that's a terrible defensive backcourt in the clutch. Like if you need to have point of attack defense in the clutch and you're counting on those guys, if you take Beasley out, and I think they eventually will have Pat Connington closing in that spot. But if you take Beasley out, now your shooting is inconsistent. Do you have the right spacing with that group? So I think they have a little bit of a conundrum there. But last night, the reason I don't buy Malik Beasley is I think he is a great shooter in easy pressure situations. I don't trust that that guy is going to make winning plays and winning shots. And last night was proof of this. He got three shots in the final five minutes of this close game. The first one, wide open three, missed the rim. Over the backboard, hit the side of uh, and hit the other side of the backboard. Had another brick and then missed the layup in transition. To me, this is one of the things about the Bucks. You always look at in the playoffs that closing lineup is often the difference in winning or losing in a series because it's like, all right, close games. How do you execute? He to me is the guy that I look at and I go, I don't know, man. I don't buy it. And last night was was exactly how I think that's going to go. Super fair. And I think obviously that is going to be remain to be seen because you're really going to find that out in a, in a best of seven. When, yeah. when you, when you got four or five tight games and the, and it's slower because as much as we want to say, this is playoff environment, what we've been watching, it's not the playoffs. It's not, it's not the same thing. And there's there, even though this trophy is at stake and we've been lauding everybody for how into it they've gotten and they played hard and competitive, it is not the playoffs. They're not playing for the same thing. And this team in particular, the Bucks, they're expecting to have a parade. That is their right. aspiration at the end of the season. So you cannot replicate it. You know, for the Pacers, who are not a championship contender, I don't think anybody would put them there, right. even after what we're watching. Right. This is more like a playoff feel probably to them because they, they really want to win this thing because that might be the only thing they do win this year. For the Bucks. that last little edge, you can't replicate that in something yeah. like this of the of the intensity and pressure of the postseason. So we're going to find that out about Malik Beasley. I think it's fair. One other point I want to make about the Bucks: the three-point shooting. We know it's vital to what they do, and, and, and Celtics and Milwaukee, very similar in that on certain nights – they hit you with such a barrage of three-point shooting. That's kind of how they end you. You can't overcome it. Now, that wasn't the case last night. Indiana, give them credit. They only gave up 12 threes. They were 12 for 33, Milwaukee. Look, Brooke Lopez was three for 10. Yeah. And if I added up all of the distance between him and the closest defender on those seven misses, right, it would, it would stretch from, from where I'm at in Jersey to where you're sitting in Denver. Right, that's how much space he had. And listen, he just had one of those nights. And yeah. I he was my X Factor, if you recall, going into the game. Yep. I, I said he's gonna have like I said he was gonna have 20 penciled in. And he he could have had 30 if he shot a little bit better from the field. And then the other guy for the three-point line was kind of mystifying to me was Cameron Payne. Like he was shooting the ball like it was on fire. 
Like he took yeah. nine threes in 16 minutes. He averages taking like three threes a game on the season. Every single crack of daylight he got, he was he was he was jacking a three. And I just I was like, what is the rush with this? So I didn't necessarily think they they executed by finishing the shots in the case of Lopez, and I didn't think the decision making was great in a part of Cameron Payne. So their three point shooting and Lillard the first half was was brutal. Their three point shooting is a huge part of what they do because yeah. of all the pressure they put on you with Giannis and, and Lillard, and they just did not come through in that department. It let them down, and that's why three-point shooting is fickle, man. Some nights it's not there. What's plan B? And for the Bucks, they didn't have a great one. There was an interesting article. I believe it was Chris Haynes last night who published an article about Bobby Portis in the locker room after the game challenged the head coach, Adrian yeah. Griffin, and, and, and one of the – complaints he had I mean a very frustrated veteran player tough player by the way Bobby Portis a tough dude one of his complaints was we need to have a more strategic and coherent fourth quarter game plan when the game's on the line what is it that we do and when I hear that it as a critique to me it is what you're talking about about the team and like who was taking it more seriously and this or that there's almost I think and again I'm gonna I'm painting with too broad of a brush I'm going too far but there's almost an arrogance to this team of we've got Giannis, we've got Dame, our offense will take care of itself. We know what we're doing there. And it's like, hey, all teams need to have a fourth quarter game plan and identity that they cultivate over the fourth over the course of the season. That's this is how and where we get our buckets and this is what we do. And um, I don't know, like in the fourth quarter, this was a tight game, you know, going into crutch time and they end up losing by nine points. So I think that's a valid criticism of Bobby Portis. I do too. And you know what's interesting about that? That's one of the things, and I look, I love Mike Budenholzer. That was one of the things I criticized him about in the couple of years when they had the number one seed overall and they got beat by the, the Raptors and then by the Heat because they had one option that they went to in, in anything that was tight in the last six minutes. Giannis Antetokounmpo, yeah. top of the key, live dribble, by himself, go, with, with shooters spaced out. And, and right. what happened in the Toronto series, remember Milwaukee won the first two games in that series, Toronto basically it, it wasn't net like a legit three-two zone, but that's how they lined up in their man defense. One guy at the top guarding Giannis, and then two guys at the elbows, two guys with a foot on the block, and that's what he was looking at. And there was no other answer, and he's just plowing in there time after time and turning the ball over, and forcing shots, and committing charges. And they didn't adjust, and and they stayed with that for the next four games. And Toronto comes back and wins four straight. And then in the Miami series, now I know he rolled his ankle, but he still played enough in that series to affect it. There's no, there was no plan B. Now look, they didn't have Damian Lillard. Okay, I get that. So now you have, you have a guy now that should be able to help in that situation. And he's been great in the clutch this year, even in tight games they've been in. But yeah. that was a criticism I have of Budenholzer. Where is your creativity to get right. Giannis the ball in a different way? Because he is so versatile in the ways he can beat you because of his size and length and athleticism. Like, find another way to roll him into the post off a of back screen and, like, get him on the move going to the basket so he's not dribbling and everybody's looking at him. Um, so that's interesting that Bobby Portis would sort of raise that same topic. Like, what are we doing late? Now, look, this part of this could have been Bobby Portis played, like, half as much as he normally does and right. took half as many shots as he normally does. So maybe right. some of that was a disgruntled player saying, hey, look, I could have had more of an impact tonight and he was a little bit irritated so he brings it up, but maybe some of it is just he's trying to be a leader and say this isn't good enough. Like we're not going to reach right. our goals if that's what we're going to do in those right. situations. So that was interesting for that to come out after the game. 
They had an 89.3 offensive rating in the fourth quarter, which I know in the, if you break down offensive rating by quarters, like three shots go in that didn't go in and that changes things. But nonetheless, it's worth looking at. They had a horrible offense and then defensively a 132 defensive rating. I mean, that's they got smoked. They just got smoked in that fourth quarter and you would not have expected that from the younger team. But let's go to the team that did win and let's go to the star of the show. Tyrese Halliburton has been putting on performances all year. 42 point games, triple double. He's been big in the last uh, in the last round with a, a surprise win. This game, 27 points, 7 rebounds, 15 assists. And the confidence with which he closed this game and orchestrated his team in this game, he's a young player. This is young versus veteran. You kind of think the advantage should be to the veteran team in those moments, pressure, new arena, whatever. Tyrese Halliburton was cool as a cucumber down the stretch, skilled as can be. And a dominant close to this game, in my opinion, from Tyrese Halliburton. I can't – every game I'm more impressed with what I see from him. The the poise with which he plays in important moments and always seems to get what he needs, whether that's, you know, the step back three, which has been a big weapon for him late in games, but he's also had critical plays where he's turned the corner, gotten into the lane, and either scored at the rim or, or shot a short floater or – found somebody. So he just makes the right read in those situations, which is young, rare for a young guard that has scoring ability because they usually want to answer like quickly and they want to just give me the ball and let me in We have young guards in the league right now that are star, star players or mer emerging stars that don't show that kind of patience in those moments. Halliburton does. So I agree with you. I don't listen. I don't know that we've seen a guy. I can't think of a guy that has gone from Really nice player. Everybody in it, that watches it for a living, all the guys in the league, like everybody that does what we do, already had acknowledged this guy's really nice, really nice player. To, oh my God, they've got a superstar on their hands in this yeah. short a period of time, because that's yep. and and it's not hyperbole. We're not overreacting because we know how difficult it is to do what he's doing and how simple he's making it seem. The fact that he had no turnovers in either of his last two games, too, either Adam, what do you have, 28 assists or yes, <laughs> without a turnover, playing that's the break next speed, playing that fast, that doesn't yeah, make any sense do. whatsoever. So he's he's just the I mean, this dude, I was I always refer to like guys escalation is as, as, as like rungs in a ladder. Yeah. This dude just literally ran up the ladder like some, you know, some some guy you'd see performing at the circus where he just throws a ladder against a wall and runs up it, right? Like the old slapstick black and white movies, Charlie Chaplin just run up the ladder. That's how fast he has gone from the, from his first game in the NBA to where he is right now and particularly over the last couple of weeks. It's incredible and none of it is exaggerated. This guy is the real deal. He's the kind of player that you do some serious winning with once they get enough talent around him. I don't think this is it. So now you're going to have guys around this league that are going to look at the Indiana Pacers differently because of him, because of the way he plays and his willingness to make you look better. But I can also get 40 if that's what it requires, if you don't have it on a given night. But I think he actually likes making guys look better more than he does scoring, which is that rare quality in a player. Right. Jokic is the same way. It's these got people want to sign up to play with guys like that because it's fun and he's going to show up when it matters. You're not out there by yourself. 
he, I saw somebody compare him to uh, the modern day version of James Harden. Of course, James Harden is still playing, but the two, the 2010s, James Harden, you know, balls in his hands. He does everything, scores, whatever. I hate that comp. I actually don't like so it at all. I, I, so I think I. that he's significantly more fun to play with, gets off ball, plays faster. First of all, James Harden used to love to walk the ball up the court, you know, barely cross half court by the time, by the eight second count, hold it for a while. Halliburton's going quick. Like you're going to touch the ball. You're going to be engaged. Um, I think it's a little bit different. You know who, one of my favorite players of the last 10 years coming in was Lonzo Ball. I loved Lonzo Ball in college. He was one of my favorites. And of course, some injuries and he had some, uh, some limitations. Tyrese Halliburton is right now what I hoped Lonzo Ball would be with an even better. I mean, the problem with Lonzo is to get a three point shot off off the bounce. He had to go backwards. He had to step back. Halliburton has added that pull up three going, you know, obviously mid range and coming off of screens. He's even better than what I thought Lonzo Ball can be, but it's the mold of player to me that would be, to me, he's one of the funnest players to play with. James Harden, one of the least fun. Halliburton, one of the funnest. If I'm Halliburton and I read that comparison, I'm saying the only thing I have in common with James Harden is our last name starts with H, ends with N. That'd be where it stops because I don't see that comparison in any way, shape, or form. It's stylistically yeah. completely different. Yeah. Um, and Halliburton, I, the Lonzo Ball comparison is, is fair in terms of, pace and find and vision and that because that is similar very similar to Lonzo Ball and but body type honestly like they they're body both type length yeah that's that's all good but then you've got this other component of a dude that can just cut your heart out as a scorer like yeah. that was never going to be Lonzo Ball even though and I'll yeah. give him credit because when he came into the league with that absurd release on the left side of his face for a right-handed player right. one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen and thinking about okay I'm saying to myself, watching Lonzo Ball early, okay, you're going to your right off the dribble, which means the defender that was guarding you is recovering on the left side of your body because that's where right. you, you went to the right. And now you're bringing the ball back to that side of your body where this guy can now contest it. How are you ever going to get a shot off, off the dribble going right? It didn't. There's just no way. So he listen, to his credit, he got his release at least more like to the center of his forehead, a little bit to the right side, and he became a pretty decent three-point shooter. But he does not have the scoring instincts or ability of Tyrese Halliburton. So I but understand. But he didn't Halliburton until this year. I mean, he's up seven points per game of what he was last year. He's up 10 points over two years ago. So his growth as a scorer, I, again, I wasn't thinking he was going to be a 25-point-per-game scorer at any no, point no in his way. career, let alone this year. So to me, it's an ad, it's the new layer and a lot of that has to do with his pull-up shooting that's unlocked that skill to him. Oh, no doubt. And and that's – it's you, you, when you first saw him shoot, and it was an interesting story they were telling on the air last night when he worked out for the Warriors, um, and they were like, oh, shot's kind of quirky, but it was going in a lot in the workout. I heard Bob Myers saying last night in, in, <laughs> that, wow. man, oh, man, like they passed on him. And he said, I should have known by his interview. Like he had a good workout. It wasn't right. mind-blowing. It was a good workout. But his interview was incredible. It set him apart. He said he should have known right then. Um, so, you know, this 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 shooting, this weird-looking shot doesn't matter anymore because he has understood how to create the space he needs for that little extra half account that he needs to get that shot off. Because it's not quick trigger, like super fast release. This isn't like Curry off the dribble. This is different. It takes longer. But he has now figured out how to create enough space so that he always knows he can get it off. Because there, there he got off a couple over the last couple of games. 
but you just don't think there's any way he's going to be able to get this to the rim based on where the defender was when he started to make his move. But he he understands very well the exact distance he needs to separate from the defender to get that shot off. And then once it leaves his hand, it's incredibly accurate. Yeah. And this year, I'm trying to look it up right now. I think he's got like 50 attempts on pull-up three. No, he's got 30. He's 12 of 29. So he's got 40, he's shooting 41%. Last year, for some reason, they don't have the stats on him. But two years ago, he took just eight total pull-up threes the entire season. This year, he's already up to 30. He's already going to end around 100. To me, it's there just a, it's a new skill. And with his yeah. shot, same with Lonzo. Like when you're talking about Lonzo's shot, part of why he only shot step back or sidestep threes was he needed that to gather up. It took too much time to gather up his shot. Tyrese has that weird release as well that I would have guessed he would have had the same problem. Like it's hard to get into that motion off of, you know, but he worked on it. He's developed it. And it looks weird. Every time he pulls steps up off the dribble into a shot, it looks a little weird but he's clearly become comfortable with it because a lot of his big shots over the last two week run have been pull up threes in a big moment. So and the, uh, the other thing, the other thing real quick, the other thing that is, has really kind of now stood out to me at, at a higher degree than I thought he has an acceleration with his first initial step when he wants to go by somebody that is much quicker than I thought it was. Yeah. And that's really what sets all this up because you think about it, you can't play him with a smaller guard because he can shoot over you anytime he wants. And he's so accurate. So you want to play somebody a little bit bigger and like you want to put a six, seven, six, eight athlete on him. And you're going to see some of that um, with the Lakers. You're going to see, you know, um, Vanderbilt on him. You're going to see uh, uh, Cam Reddish guard him some like longer guy. Problem is, those guys are not quick enough with that first step laterally to retreat when he when he goes like he gets upright and then he gets yeah. low and goes and it's yeah. so quick the burst by you he's in the pain and once he gets in there it's like terminator time he's scanning everything <laughs> right so and he is making the right read is it time for a floater yeah. can i get to the rim or is this going to be a kick out or every now and then hey there's a guy over here on my left shoulder at the three-point line and I already know he's there, so I'm just going to throw this like jump hook pass back out to there because I know Buddy Heald or Halliburton is standing there, even though he never looked in that direction. He he's just got that presence about him. But he, I don't think a lot of this works, Adam, like this to this extent. If he's not as quick as he is with yeah. his first, it sets everything up where you have to give him enough space so he gets the three off. Because he wasn't as quick, you could crowd him more. Now that three is harder to get off because of where he releases it from. The fact he's got both. Now you have the and on top of it, the vision. Boom! Here we go. You got you got an all league yeah. guard. The one area I would compare him to James Harden legs is that he's really good at attacking. Like if you put a foot forward, he's really good at making you change. Right? He 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 catches you on that, so he can almost dribble slow. See you put your foot forward and now attack the other side, and he does a lot of that. So it's not just the long strides going one direction, but shift and then go. And he's really good at that. And that's what the Jared Vanderbilts, the bigger, the fours, the power forwards that switch out, that's what they have a hard time with. They might have the strides, but left, right, and then go. That's where he gets them. Two guys we have to give shout-outs to, though, also from the Pacers last night. Miles Turner and TJ McConnell. I th- we Our X-Factors were Buddy Hield and Benedict Matherin. They went six for 23 combined for 17 points. They both shot poorly in this game, although um, Hield in particular did some other things, grabbed 11 rebounds. But Turner, I thought, was phenomenal. 26 points, 10 rebounds, hit a clutch three in the fourth quarter. And TJ McConnell, who's been on the shelf, plays 11 great minutes, is a plus nine in 11 minutes. What, what do you see from those two guys? And, and was there somebody else that you think deserves a shout-out on 
on the Pacers. You could search up and down the league to this point, go through every box score and find, um, and, and not necessarily quantified by stats, but find a guy that played 11 minutes off the bench that had the kind of impact TJ McConnell did in this game. He was, for that 11 minutes, he was involved in literally every play. Nine points, yeah. four assists, and three steals three in steals 11 minutes. It's incredible. And at a time, they needed it. They, they, like, they needed that from him. At that time, and he's he's one of those guys. You can tell by his re, the reaction of his team. Not every tangible play that a guy makes is worth the same amount to their team. Yeah, TJ McConnell is one of those guys. The reaction yeah. to what he does and the energy that he gives his team is there's an extra quantifiable benefit that guys like that give your team, and he did it. It's two games in a row. He was absolutely sensational. Yeah. I think three. If you go back even more, he played that Miami game before the tournament began with Tyrese Halliburton set out, and he had that monster game. So he's on a little bit of a heater right now of, yep. of being trusted and playing. Um, so I thought that was that. Any final thoughts on this one? I mean, the Pacers, what a, what a great run for them. I, I honestly feel like, in a weird way, this was a great thing for the in-season tournament, to have an up-and-coming team who's been making noise all year Upset. We didn't pick them yesterday. Nobody really picked them. And for them to be at this stage, I think it's cool. I don't know if it's great for marketing, but for guys like us that just like watch watching good basketball, they played good basketball to get here. All right. Well, yeah, here's my final point on this. Think about what we're watching. So I don't know how many teams you had on your top tier, because I that's kind of how I broke it down in terms of legit right. contender. Like at the beginning of the year, I had five teams. And I said, one of these five teams is going to win the championship. It was Bucks, Celtics, Nuggets, Suns, and Lakers. Mm. Those were the five teams. I don't know if you had a different top five or you had somebody right. else that you would include in that or one of those teams you didn't think deserved. But, but I think everybody had Boston and Milwaukee, right? Right. Did you have the Lakers as a team you thought could potentially win a championship? No. To be honest, we're going to talk about them next, but no. I, I did, and look, obviously they're going to have the a trade different maybe, uh, but not this team. They're going to have think. a different way of grading them in the regular season because they're so built for the playoffs because of LeBron right. and AD. Right, that's really all yeah. that matters. So, but the way they're playing right now, like there's not great defenses really in the league anymore. Theirs can be absolutely the best of the best when they are digging in the way that they were. And you think about if Indiana wins this game, who they will have just run through. Boston Celtics, Milwaukee Bucks, and the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, are you kidding me to win this thing? So, I look, yeah. I've picked against them now two games in a row. Keep, keep it going. <laughs> and I'm probably going to do it again, Indiana. So, <laughs> oh. my Indiana fans, come at me. I know. Yeah. And I, guess what, though? I'll say this. I own it if I miss it. I own it yeah. every time. And yeah. I was wrong on these two. It's going to be hard to pick them against the Lakers, though. I got to be honest with you. Yeah. All right, let's take a break, and then we're going to get to the L.A. Lakers, who, to your point, you know, they look pretty impressive in LeBron James. I know everybody's talking about it. Age 39, I can't believe age 39. But honestly, I have some hot takes about LeBron after watching him over this uh, little run here. He has been unbelievable. First, got to tell you, NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back, and DraftKings Sports, the official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with that instant dub. And DraftKings, we got those parlays, like the easy, easy money and the parlay that hit last night in the third quarter 
unbelievable. Legs bought a new boat last night. It was crazy all the different things that happened. <laughs> so download if you want to get in on it right now. Emma has never told a lie. She is one for one on telling us some winners. We'll find out later in the show what her pick is for this weekend. Basketball is more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code ALLNBA. New customers get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. If you've got a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas and a licensed partner of Golden Nugget in Lake Charles, Louisiana. 21 or older, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball for terms, eligibility, and deposit restrictions, and responsible gaming resources. All right, we got through the good game, Legs. Let's go to the bad one. The Lakers dominate. To the tune of a 40, I think it's, I don't want to do the math. If you lose by more than 40, don't expect me to do the math for you. Yes, it was 44 points. They lose 133 to 89. Pathetic on both sides. Pathetic almost right out of the gate, but certainly right out of the third quarter. Legs, I try to be a bit objective on this show. I try to just give analysis. It's going to be hard for me to do that today on the Pelicans because they made me sick last night with that performance. We just talked about young Pacers team, veteran Bucks team and the Pacers look like they wanted it more. It meant more to them because they haven't done anything. Should have been the same for New Orleans. You're on the big stage. Make a splash. You have some big wins under your belt. I was disgusted by the effort put forward. It was the most Pelicans. They're so good. We're so high on them. We rave about them. We talk about all the role players. We've been very gracious to them. But the problem with the Pelicans is for every impressive win they have, they have a pathetic loss to them and a performance where they no-show. I did not expect a no-show the way that they had a no-show in the second half of that game last night. Yeah, and look, you know, look, sometimes, man, you just you run into a buzzsaw. And, sure. and you, know, you, you, you know, you came with the right approach, and it happens in the NBA, because particularly more than ever, I feel like now we get some of these crazy lopsided scores because of the shot-making capabilities across right. the league. There's so many dudes, and on a given night, you run into one of those teams that just plays that well. And look, I'm going to – not take anything away from the Lakers because they were that sharp. Yep. They played with that kind of force. They were absolutely precise in, in their dismantling of this team. But the New Orleans Pelicans, that was that was just not anywhere close to good enough effort for any regular season NBA game. Certainly not something like this where you're put on a big stage in a primetime game in a tournament that the whole country's kind of been captivated by. And that is what you roll out there. And, th and this is for everybody listening. Like, you know, anybody thinks that what we do for a living is easy and, and, and you miss predictions and whatnot. Good, right. good luck trying to figure that out last night. I mean, figure that out. How could you possibly show up that flat, that almost disengaged, yeah. disinterested for the remaining like three quarters of that game? It's particularly second half. How is that possible? Um, and so, you know, I, I agree with you. Disgusted is a perfect word for it. And and I'm going to – I've been doing it lately a lot. I'm going to do it one more time. I, I don't know what's going on with Zion Williamson. It's like every time he starts to get comfortable and gets a lot of uh, platitudes, he starts playing like this. What good is it to shoot 60, 60, 65, 70% uh, from the field if you take eight shots and you're the second-best yep. player on the team? Or yep. and some people might think the best player on the team. What good is it? He's had three of the last four games – 
He's taken eight, eight, and nine shots. I, I, and, and by the way, I looked it up. He hasn't had a double-digit rebounding game in a month, and he's only had two all season. How does oh. that make sense for a guy that is one of the most ex- explosive athletes in the league? And, by the way, it's easier to defensive rebound than it's ever been because there are four guys spaced out at the three-point line a lot of times when shots go up. Okay, now yeah. you might say, hey, well, what about long rebounds, lend themselves offensive no, rebounding? True, but nobody's going to the glass in, yeah. in this league in a lot of possessions. And here you are at six, seven, six, eight, the best athlete on the floor with that kind of strength, and you, you're, you're having a lot of games with four rebounds, three rebounds, five rebounds, and then just not being – like engaged man and like out there to do damage. I was disappointed with Zion last couple of games. Well, and, well hold on. And, and you know the reason why though. More disappointed with their overall team. That that it's hard to get that out of your mind as you start to watch them the rest of the year. And we've seen it a handful of times already this year where it's like, oh, four game win streak, some big teams. And then they go out and lay a couple eggs and you watch and you're like, is this the same team? What's going on? But we know the answer to it. Or at least I think we have a pretty good assumption. He's not in shape to do it. I mean, it's, no, he's an explosive athlete, and he's not even close. You just look at him and say, okay, he's not this. And I think that it's twofold. One, when you're as great as he is, you should find more shots for yourself. You should be find more rebounds. You should just be more aggressive and find a way to put your imprint on the team. I thought he played a little bit like a facilitator last night at parts where I'm thinking, your team needs you to force the envelope. Go to the rim. Draw some contact. Do something. And he was just being passive. But I think there's another side. So there's the Zion part of this, not being in shape not being aggressive. But I think there's another part of this that is he's not always there. He's not in great shape. And I wonder how much the team, the players, the coaches, everyone is just like, how much do we bend our offense to Zion when we just don't know if he's here or not? I think there is a two-way trust thing between Zion and the team where you're going to get most teams, their number one guy, they don't allow him to take eight shots. It's like, no, well, all right, we got to get more. I wonder if there's that dynamic where the team doesn't trust him enough to change and and tailor themselves to him. No, that's a, that's a good point. Like you know, you look at like compare compare it to the NFL when you have your you know your top receiver is considered a, a legit big time number one. That guy's getting two three targets early, right. early. Even if even if even if they're not open or it's a two yard catch, they want their hands on the ball. Right, you want to get that guy included. So for Zion, so much of what he does is happens organically. It's not like yeah. he's going to come down, run ball screen for himself. That's not what he does. He's a guy you throw it ahead to, and then he's really good at attacking, getting in gaps, getting to his left hand and finishing. And a lot of what he does is kind of like an, an afterthought. They're not running sets. Like they run more stuff for Brandon Ingram to get him the ball in certain spots. Same thing with CJ McCollum. They don't do a lot of that for Zion because they don't really have to because of the way he plays. So, so therefore, I put it on him. Well, then you're not aggressively, actively making yourself available to receive the ball where it's obvious. Because as soon as his hand goes up and he's got that look on his face, yo, man, give me the damn ball. The ball's coming to him. So he just, to me, he gets in these these modes where he'll go five, six minutes and he's just kind of out there and he's just out there to be out there. He's not really actively seeking the basketball. So look, that's a, like I said, when you look at this team going forward, every time they start to look like, wow, okay, Pelicans just won four straight to your point. Better start taking notice of them because of the talent that they have and the depth that I'm going to, this game is going to be in the back of my mind every time yeah. I go there. Sorry. It's like at some point you, you got to lose the benefit of the doubt when you play like that in that moment. 
it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. So look, we know we've seen it before. Teams get run out in a, like a game seven of a playoff series. It happens, man. The emotion overcomes teams. That's not what we're talking about here, man. It's a one-off. You, you got to come with something better than that. And look, the Lakers, to their credit, there yeah. was chum in the water, and they. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, might have lost you for a second there, legs. Um, enough about the about the Pelicans. They disgust me. I mean, we asked coming into the year, are they the team that was number one on Christmas last year in the Western Conference, or are they the team that fell all the way out of the playoffs? It turns out they're still both. And and unfortunately, right now, uh, last night they were they were the team that fell out. But let's talk about the team that won, and let's talk in particular about LeBron James. Last night, LeBron goes 9 of 12 from the field. He has 30 points. He was a plus 36. Five rebounds, eight assists, four of four from the three-point line. Up oh, legs, you might have frozen. You might have to hop out and hop back in. LeBron James has that monster performance where he goes 9 of 12, and he hit four threes. And if you look at LeBron over the last little bit of his career here, LeBron has been shooting the ball. That's one area where he has definitely been better than he had, had been in previous years. Are you back there, legs? I think I am. Sorry about that. Little, little, little uh, Wi-Fi connection issue. Little hiccup. I'm talking about LeBron here, and he goes four or four from three. Three of those came right in a row. He's shooting 41% on the year. And here's my hot take on LeBron James. I thought this last year in the playoffs. I thought the toughest team Denver faced last year was the Minnesota Timberwolves. Look at the Timberwolves this year. They were on the path to becoming a great team. This year, they're a great team. I thought the best player the Nuggets faced last year was LeBron James because he guarded Jokic better than anybody had guarded him. That wasn't his job, but he took it on and said, you know what, I'll do it. And then just in terms of how many strategic things, how much pressure does he put on a team to change and adjust throughout the course of a series? I thought it was LeBron. You watch him last night and you watch him in the playoffs last year on the run they make and you watch him at his best. And I look here and I go, has he actually lost anything at this age? The one thing he's lost is the ability to do it every night. But when you talk about, right. okay, but we need to have it one night, we just have, you're healthy, you're rested, go out and give your best performance. My hot take is I'd only take Jokic in a one game. If everybody's rested and healthy and I have one game, I think Jokic's the only player that I would take over LeBron at this moment. I know that sounds crazy, but nights like last night show you, he not only can make shots, can pass and facilitate, he controlled every aspect of that game on both ends of the court while he was out there, and it was dominant. No, I think that's a really good uh, way to sum it up, and I, th I would probably agree with you. I think the only player I would take in front of LeBron would be Jokic if I got to go play one game, and no matter what the circumstances, right? I have to have this game. I'm probably going to start with Jokic, and then LeBron would be my next choice. To your point, though, here's the thing. You said, you know, the only difference or the only thing he's lost is being able to do it every night. Here's the thing. He used to be able to do it all every night, right? He'd rebound. He'd facilitate. Yeah. He'd guard everybody. He'd right. he'd score a big number or whatever. Now, he might not be able to check every box every night, but every night he's checking at least two of those four boxes at a really high level. So he's still such an impactful player. And, and it's so obvious, like when you're watching, who is controlling this game. Yeah. And that's why LeBron is, is, is unparalleled really still in this league with his ability to do that. It's, it's going to go through him. And, he, you know, the big part of it is just his physical strength and an inability to like make him 
play off balance or make him play a way that you want him to. Now, the best you can hope for is he's not making perimeter shots. Right. You have a chance at least. If you can get a hand up and he's having one of those nights, and, you know, LeBron will have those. Uh, That wasn't the case last night, and I think more often than not now, when he rises up for a three, I expect it to go in more often than I think that I ever have in LeBron's career. That's all you can really hope for, Adam, is that he settles for the shot and he misses the shot. It has little to do with what you're doing defensively because anything he does downhill, he just he gets where he needs to go because of his physical strength and and, and just his force field that's around him with those shoulders that you just cannot really, you know, get him to where you have an advantage. He always has the advantage, and that's what makes him special. And Jokic is the same way. They always have the advantage. No matter what it looks like, they do. And LeBron certainly was that last night. He was he was sensational and you know, it just continues to defy logic about what you're supposed to be able to accomplish at this age as a basketball player. Uh, one last note, and then I want to talk about LeBron in that light. But th- this was the second most threes they've made. They were 17 of 35, almost 50%. And I do think that the, the Lakers, they don't make a lot of threes. I mean, they're one of the lowest three-point shooting teams in the, all of the NBA. And on the nights when they do make them, they tend to blow out. They had 22 against Memphis. They put up 134 points. They had 17 last night, put up 133. They're... I don't want to say unbeatable when they make threes, but it certainly is the inflection point for them that if LeBron and the team are making threes, they're a completely different beast. But I want to talk about LeBron now and the Lakers because you had them as contenders because I guess you saw this upside, like this play from them. To me, I still don't know if I can count them as contenders because my question about LeBron is, can he do this for four rounds? Can he do it all the way through till March, April? And then can he do it for four intense rounds if you're being pushed? And I still question that. But I will say, this Lakers team, I don't love their team. I don't think it's a great and well-built team. But LeBron still has that in him where I go, yeah, but you don't need great. You just need guys that can do enough to, to allow LeBron to have a chance. And that's why after this tournament run, I look at the Lakers and I think I do have them back in my contenders tier. Yeah, and you just hit it on the head. And hey, look, when, when I was going through the preseason list and, and coming up with my contenders – some of it is the team, right, themselves, the Lakers. You look at them, and number one, they went to the conference finals a year ago. I know they got swept, but if you go to the conference finals, right, that you're, you're obviously a contender. You're in that situation where you're in a best of seven to go to the NBA finals. And they got – I thought they got better with the people they added, right? So th- that for me and, – and I didn't see any decline in LeBron. That for me meant, yeah, you got to be on the short list. But so it's – part of it is just their team. The other part, though – is it's relative to the rest of the conference. So you go and look at teams. Obviously, Denver is. And and I think, right. you know, I probably if I'm sitting here today, I'd pick Denver to go back to the finals. But you looked at, like, Phoenix, ton of question marks. Tons. Ton of question marks. Right? G- can they stay healthy? What does it even look like with those three guys? In the summer, you didn't even know who, who was filling out the roster. They were working out guys from the G League to like as, like, starters on that team. Like, you didn't know they were going to go out and get – Aaron Gordon to come in there and, and you're going to get Grayson Allen, right? You didn't know what that was going to look like. Nurkic. So uh, Dallas question marks, you know, Sacramento, I guess, you know, maybe they don't want to be question marks, but I don't think you know losing in the first round doesn't necessarily say, Hey, contender um, Minnesota and Oklahoma city, nobody had them being this good. So I think part of it is what the Lakers were. Part of it is the rest of the conference and the uncertainty with a lot of these teams that's why I had the Lakers there. And after watching their ability to dial it up the way that they have for something that mattered to them, 
absolutely for me they've solidified that thought in my head and you look at here's my question about the lakers if we try to look at them down the line which again is unfair they might make trades guys will evolve the reason I still am skeptical about them and coming in is they really rely heavily on Cam Reddish, D'Angelo Russell, and Austin Reeves. D'Angelo Russell, another one of the you know worst defenders in all the NBA, especially worst starters of you know of good teams. He's going to be targeted. Austin Reeves, same thing. He's as good as he is on offense. He's going to be targeted. And then Cam Reddish is the opposite. I just is he that a guy that you're going to count on so much to not? If I'm in the final three minutes and guarding LeBron and Anthony Davis, I say, you know what, Cam Reddish, you better go three for three or two for three or something in this stretch because we're not guarding you and we're going to force you to be the read. So to me, those are the three guys that I look at that, again, the Pelicans did nothing to make the Lakers, you know, their weaknesses <laughs> right. get exposed last night. But that is the one thing I look at that say those guys at some point, that's going to be the game plan. Those three guys are going to be the pressure point. Yeah, I like it. And, and you know, here's the thing that's has amazed me about Austin Reeves' ascension. Um, I was thinking about LeBron's career and all of the teams he's played on. And I think there are only two other players that LeBron has ever played with that he entrusted to be the primary ball handler decision maker when he was on the court. Mm. It's Dwayne Wade and yeah. Kyrie Irving. Mm. Think about what I'm saying here. You're talking about two guys that are like all-time great offensive talents in this league, um, Hall of Fame players. And then you've got Austin Reeves, who kind of came out of nowhere in midseason last year, started making a splash, finished incredibly well. Started had a slow start to the year after the, getting the contract and a lot of attention and expectation came with that. I think he was pressing at the start of the year. He's not pressing anymore. And the number of possessions LeBron is on the floor and it starts with Austin Reeves has been really kind of mind blowing to me. But that's how much that's how much LeBron trusts him. So I'm starting to buy into Austin Reeves kind of being there when it matters. I don't know that I'd say that about Cam Reddish as much or Christian Wood or like some of the other new guys. I feel pretty good that I know what I'm going to get out of Austin Reeves. I don't think the pressure will affect him. Um, you know, he um, might get locked up one night by a really good, long, athletic thing. defender. Yeah, that could happen. But I think he's also crafty and clever enough with the ball that he's able to escape those guys as well. And when he shoots the three, because I don't think he's a great shooter. He's not a pure shooter, but he's a good enough shooter. And sometimes he gets hot. He's a really good shooter. Yeah, he gets hot. Um, you add all that up, I'm expecting Austin Reeves to deliver. For them, I'm not really questioning that anymore. Yeah, I I think Austin Reeves is really good. I do wonder if there is a two way team that can just make. I mean, this happened in the series. I don't think he was particularly great in the Denver series last year, and it's part because Denver scores at such a high rate that you have to be able to keep up offensively and get some stops. And he wasn't able to be it. He was a player they targeted, so we'll see. But he he did play phenomenal last night. Plus twenty one, seventeen, five and seven. It's a hell of a stat line for him. Um. Let's move in to the weekend here. And first, as we always do on Friday's legs, we look around and ask ourselves who won the week. There was not any games this week. There was only tournament games and then one day of games. So this is the easiest who won the week ever. I think there's two candidates. There's really only one. I'll let you have the best one. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that, man. You're actually right now, you're playing like the guy I'm going to talk about, just giving it there up for go. me, right? You made the Listen. assist. I'm going to go I'm gonna go shoot that three or lay it in for you. It's, it's got to be Tyrese Halliburton. I don't know. We could go the entire season and we're going to do this every week. I don't know that I can find a more obvious answer yeah. in any one of these Friday sessions than this week. Yeah, I don't know how it could be anybody good. else because he has captivated the entire basketball world right now. Everybody is talking about Tyrese Halliburton. 
everybody because this that's how much attention this tournament's gotten and he's been that spectacular um he's just so entertaining and fun to watch and then you go hear him speak after the game and you're even more intrigued yes, by the guy that. he's so intelligent and like humble at the same time but clearly has so much confidence so i don't know i don't know who's your who you're gonna say because i didn't think there was more than one answer this week so I went, i'm going with the obvious one tyrese halliburton I mean, Halliburton's ascension, and you're right. He just has this, like, infectious personality that you just kind of like. It's Steph Curry-like, honestly. It's the guy I would compare him to is Steph Curry, who has this joyfulness and this just energy you kind of get from watching him and I imagine from playing with him. Um, the other guy's LeBron James. I mean, come on. it was. <laughs> there's two teams that had advanced to the finals. They've been carried by great players, and, um, you know, I'll go with LeBron. Mainly it was this last game, but he did average – uh, 30.6 rebounds, nine and a half assists in just 31 minutes. And he shot 57% from the field, 75% from three. So he was pretty darn good. I, again, who else could you have picked between those two guys, though? Like, this is um, this is almost like an Eastern-Western Conference Player of the Week. Nobody else played. Those are the only guys that played games this week, and they played phenomenal. So let's move I on. We gotta bad, actually, I feel bad, yeah. actually, now that I'm thinking about it, in, in, for, for the LeBron, you know, conversation, because – Similar to whenever the debate comes up about greatest of all time, you feel like no matter what he does, he's going to be number two. And yeah. and here again this week, no matter what he could have done, I don't yeah. know that he could have surpassed yeah. Tyrese yeah. Halliburton for winner of the week. Because um, it's it's and it's not just the play, man. It's the aura that he is creating right now. Right, that's what that's yeah. what is special. He's like this super entertaining must see player. All of a sudden, like it just began. We know he's been doing it all year, and he did it a lot of last year. But now it's on a completely different level. And man, oh man, if he delivers on Saturday night, and they beat the Lakers, and let's say LeBron plays great, which you expect him to, and the Lakers play a good game, like it's not like because they just have an off night, they play a good game, and Halliburton is the star of the game. What? Oh man, what, you know, my goodness, man. And and they just and they, and now to do that, you got to win the game. So they beat. Boston, Milwaukee, and the Lakers, three consecutive games to win this tournament. And Halliburton outplays LeBron. Well, now I don't even know. I don't even know. You know, now it's on a Taylor Swift, Jace, uh, Travis Kelsey type level of uh, <laughs> of all of fame and attention he's going to get, man. That's what it's going to go to that level, I'm telling you. Man, he's going all the way up to, uh, to Taylor levels. That's insane. You might um, see, hey, listen, if he outplays LeBron, on yeah. Saturday, and they win that game. You, I guarantee you, you are going to see Tyrese Halliburton in the box at the next Chiefs game with Taylor Swift. <laughs> Tyrese Halliburton will be in that box. Look at him with Kelsey's mom and Brittany yeah. Mahomes. Right, he's going to be. Yeah. He's going to be Tyrese Halliburton. Just straight up, man. He's straight up. That's your best ever take. <laughs> Let's go. All right. We only have legs. We have two minutes to preview this weekend's matchup. Um, so I'm just going to go really, really quickly here and say. This is the number one offense, the Pacers versus the number seven defense in the Lakers. This is, to me, the Lakers have an enormous foul advantage, free throw advantage. They get to the line a lot. The Pacers foul a lot. The Pacers have a huge three-point advantage. They make a lot of threes. The Lakers, other than last night, don't make a lot of threes. They struggle. So to me, forget everything else. That's the battleground, I think, is it's going to be the pace and threes on the pacer side versus the paint and free throws on the Lakers side. That's kind of how I see this matchup. I completely agree. And I think, you know, listen, if the Pacers have one of those nights from the three, that will win out over the free yeah. throws uh, and the ability to control the game in the paint. And I think the number you would look at in the disparity 
can't be greater than about six made threes. Mm. If the Lakers can keep it within about six made threes, so if, let's say the Pacers make 18. If the, if the Lakers can, can make like 12, they're going to be in good shape because there's going to be all those other possessions they're controlling with their physical presence in, inside with Anthony Davis and LeBron. If it's one of those nights, you know, the Pacers make 18 and the Lakers make seven, they're in deep trouble. Th- that disparity can't be that great. And the Lakers are very fickle with that, by the way. Like they can have a night like they had. They're like, those are rare. More often than not, they're kind of around that nine or 10 make area. Which yeah. means you better do a good job on the Pacers of keeping them to about 12, 14, 15. If you can do that, uh, you've got a really good chance. And that's that's honestly the number one thing I'm looking at in the game. Do the do the Lakers control that element of the Pacers game and make them take and make more two-point shots? I think that this is a game that probably lends itself to conspiracy and that the Lakers are going to just draw a lot of fouls in this game. And I think they're going to do it honestly because they are good at doing that and they have an enormous size advantage. I mean, that's the Pacers' problem. They're kind of small. They're kind of tiny. So I think that's going to be one of these games where the Lakers get what they want. Again, we've picked against them every time. I'm doing it again. I think the Lakers win this one. I think I think, <laughs> I think it's theirs to lose. At this point, yeah, I got I to gotta, I gotta do it again also. You know, it's yeah. – I tell you don't what. Sorry, the Pacers are lucky. It's nice to be the underdog. You don't want to be the favorite when you're in that spot. You want to be doubted every time. Well, it's like you also they win this thing and you're kind of going, well, how were they under 500 then, this deep into the season if they look like this every night, you know? And then who knows? By the way, just from a confidence and swagger standpoint, what this could do for them and propelling them beyond this. Regardless now, win or lose, as long as they don't get blown out and kind of have this sour taste at the end of this, which I don't think is going to happen. If this is a close game, one way or another, win or lose, I think this has already propelled Indiana to be looked at differently, I think, going forward. Again, because in the East, I think you've got two known entities, two, and maybe Philly, two and a half, let's say. Beyond that, there's a lot of real estate to go grab, man. The Knicks, yeah. the Raptors, the Heat, right? The Cavs, they're all like in that boat, man. Can the Pacers get into that room and sit at that table with those teams potentially? That's what I think people are going to be expecting after this. Yeah. It'll be it'd be a great story. I'm looking forward to it. I do think it'll be an entertaining game. And I want to see, of course, right now. Halliburton is is uh on a heater right now. It almost reminds you of Lynn Sanity, although he's Halliburton's for real. This isn't, you know, maybe an aberration. And I just want to see if it keeps going and makes a magical moment in the first ever in-season tournament final. Also this weekend, there's no game on Sunday, by the way. This weekend's very weird. There's only one game on Saturday, but tonight we have a, a slew of really good games. Sacramento at Phoenix. That's a great matchup. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that one. Cleveland at Miami should be a pretty good game. Chicago at San Antonio, you don't typically think this one would be a great matchup, but the Spurs are on a 15-game losing streak. Chicago, playing Chicago at home, that's one of your better chances to get a win. So I'm curious to see if they can break their streak before this gets too ugly. Atlanta's at Philadelphia, which will be good, and the Knicks are at the Celtics. By the way, the Pacers and Bucks play again, I think, on Tuesday of next week. How ridiculous is this, man? Because of this in-season tournament, there's a couple teams that end up playing the same team over and over and over again. Oh, and it's kind of a it's kind of a bummer. It's one of the casualties of this tournament. Before we go, though, Legs, we got our first ever parlay from Easy Money Emma, the producer of this show last night, hit in the third quarter. She has more yeah. money to be made this weekend, Emma. Like, walk me, let me open up the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Walk me through. What do you what's your can't miss parlay this week? All right, you guys, we're going to double our money once again today. <laughs> once again, just, just no. 
plantation <laughs> ever. Just just for funsies, okay. you know? All right, so okay. we're going to take Joel Embiid to score 25-plus points. Seems very easy. Guys, we're just doubling our money. No sweat. DeMar DeRozan, DeMar DeRozan to score 20-plus points. Okay. Nikola Jokic yeah. to score 25-plus points. And then Jokic, Devin, you said? Yeah, yeah, and then Devin Booker. Oh, that one's, that one's, that one's borderline. That's, ooh. I agree, so, man. He took 32 shots last game. I don't know if he's a little gun-shy tonight. Like, hey, I shot too much. Let me, let me pass. We'll find out, though. So that's, like, my main parlay. But then I got a couple <laughs> of other tasty nuggets just to, like, throw in there in case anyone didn't like my picks. Because you okay. guys, All right, you guys didn't like my picks. So alternate, you guys can throw this in however you want. Steph Curry over 36 and a half PRA. Sangoon over 26 and a half points plus assists. Okay. Tobias Harris over 21 and a half points plus rebounds. And then Julius, Julius Randle over 29 and a half points plus rebounds. I gotta be honest, these ones are shakier. Last ones felt like a slam dunk. I'm yeah, not I, don't like those. I don't like those as much, Emma. I have a feeling I would have doubled my money than given it all back. I'm not sure I like that. <laughs> I like the first tonight. part of it because here's the thing. If I double this up again with that first parlay, I, I bought the 26-foot boat. I like that 32-footer, though. <laughs> I'd like to go right back down to the marina and trade it in if you if you double me up again. Hey, yeah. I heard I heard, I heard, heard on the streets that parlay Emma was going to be on the water this <laughs> oh, summer. Oh, that's absolutely. They're, they're painting it. They're painting that on the back as we speak. Wonderful. Well, I guess we're going to find out if we're going to double our money once again. All right, awesome, Emma. I, I'll, I'll place it. I did it last night. You saw. I sent you the receipt. I'm sending. I'm doing it again. I gotta follow your advice until you burn me. Uh, everybody, this was a fun week. End season tournament week was a fun one. It'll be a memorable one. We got the weekend off. We are gonna be back next week though, with the season returns to normal. Hit that like button for us on the way out. We'll see you guys tomorrow or next week.